Well, welcome to week two of our new series. We are doing a deep dive into the Gospel of John, looking at the word portraits that John paints of Jesus. I hope you've had a chance to read some, if not all, of the book of John. Our aim is to become more like Jesus. And to become like him, we have to know him. And we come to know him through the gospel stories. And when we know Jesus, we know God. As our key verse says in Colossians, Christ is the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God. Tony Scarcello nails the importance of of this knowledge and it's all about the mission that we are on to bring people into the family of the kingdom. He says, as Christians, our primary task is to reveal who God is to the world. And the good news is, God is like Jesus. Well, last week we started with a beautiful portrait of Jesus that was told in the first half of uh, John chapter 2, and I called it the laughing Jesus. As Jesus first demonstrated his power and authority, he showed the joyful character of God by turning water into wine and just keeping the party going. Now, this week is quite a different vibe, but it comes straight after the wedding story and it also demonstrates Christ's power and authority. So let's continue reading from uh, John chapter 2. It was almost time for the Passover festival. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. There in the temple he found men selling cattle, sheep and pigeons and also the money changers sitting at their tables. So he made a whip from cords and drove all of the animals out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He overturned the tables of the money changers and scattered their coins. And he ordered the men who sold the pigeons, take them out of here, stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that the scripture says, My devotion to your house, O God, burns in me like a fire. The Jewish authorities replied with a question, What miracle can you perform to show us that you have the right to do this? Jesus answered, Tear down this temple and in three days I will build it again. Are you going to build it again in three days, they asked him. It's taken 46 years to build this temple. But the temple Jesus was speaking about was his body. So when he was raised from the death, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and what Jesus had said. Well, Let's delve into this portrait because John is doing something interesting here. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, tell this story. It obviously had a massive impact on them all. It's like they were shocked by what Jesus did, but also sort of proud of what he did. This event is placed at the end of uh, the other three Gospels. Matthew, Mark and Luke. And historians believe that it probably happened during the week that Jesus was in Jerusalem prior to his arrest and crucifixion. It was likely the straw that broke the camel's back as far as the Jewish authorities were concerned. After this demonstration, Jesus had to go. 
Now, John doesn't arrange his portraits or his stories of Jesus in a chronological way. He puts the story of the wedding and the story of the temple clearing together for a reason. Last week's portrait, where we talked about Jesus turning the ritual washing water into wine, he was announcing that something new was coming. The rule of the kingdom of God was at last breaking out all over the earth. When Jesus violently disrupts the temple business, he is forecasting that the temple, which was the key institution in Jewish life, would no longer be the place that people had to physically visit to meet with God, to feel his presence. Jesus was saying, I am the real temple. He was saying that he is the place where we meet with God. He is the one who grants forgiveness from sin. Now, let's give a little bit of historical context to this story. It happened around Passover time in Jerusalem. Now, Passover was the most sacred of the Jewish festivals. It was where the Jews celebrated the way that God saved them from slavery in Egypt hundreds of years before and brought them out to the promised land through miracle after miracle. Every devout Jew was expected to travel to Jerusalem and make an animal sacrifice at the temple for the forgiveness of their sins. They were also expected to pay an annual tax to the temple. Now, this was a great opportunity for for commerce because everyone had to have an animal and everyone had to change their money into the official temple currency. It was also a great opportunity for unscrupulous businessmen to make a killing. It's a bit like having to pay $5 for a coffee at the airport. Where else could you go? After his radical action of clearing out the shonky businesses, Jesus makes one of his bizarre statements that everyone misinterprets. He says, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. Okay, the temple building in Christ's day was massive. Herod had started to rebuild it several decades before Jesus was born. And at the time of this story, the work had been going on for 46 years. 18,000 men worked on it. Some of the stones weighed as much as 70 tons and can still be seen today holding up the walls of the Temple Mount. To say to the authorities that if they tore it down, he could rebuild it in three days? Jesus was being his usual mysterious self because he was actually referring to his own body and his resurrection. He knew that when he had paid the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, there would no longer be a need for a temple. This was an incredible revolution, a whole new way of worshipping and relating to God. Okay, question. Have you ever had an all-access pass to an event? One that gets you past the security guards and behind the scenes? Well, my son's a musician and he's been playing with the band Ice House for several years. And once he asked me if if I wanted a backstage pass and, and I wasn't all that keen, but he gave me one and it was the coolest thing ever. 
and came up to the stage door and there's this big burly security guy there. I just flashed the pass straight in, wandered around the backstage, see important people like Ivor Davies in the corridor, pretend that that's not amazing, just stay cool, walk up to the catering table, eat whatever you like, stand side stage while the music is happening and try to feel like you are important and staying very, very chill. I tried to imagine that I actually belonged in that place. I want you to just hold that image in your head because we'll come back to it. So back to the story. There is no doubt that Jesus was angry. Let me show you a painting of an Australian artist who wanted to capture this side of Christ. Reg Mombasa is an artist. You might recognise his style from the iconic Mambo brand, but Reg was more than just a commercial designer. He developed a character he called Australian Jesus. And here is Aussie Jesus wearing a suit in Sydney and having a backyard barbie complete with flies. But this is a portrait that I want to look more closely at. Just take a moment to read the words. I don't believe Reg was a Christian, but he was certainly fascinated with the character of Jesus and very aware of the failure of some parts of the institutional church to represent him well. Here he paints Australian Jesus calling out the church's history of the rejection of gay people. Reg thought that Jesus would be angry about discrimination against minorities. I think he was inspired to paint some truth here. We've just finished a series about deadly sins that derail your life and character, and anger was one of them. Sinful anger is always tied up with personal pride when my rights have been abused, when I have not been treated with respect. The authors of the Bible often talk about another kind of anger, a righteous anger. And in the Old Testament books, we often read about God's anger burning hot. And this is what we are seeing in this portrait of Jesus. Though he was loving and tender, his words were sometimes sharp and biting. Many of the things that Jesus said were either a direct condemnation of someone's attitude or behaviour or a story to illustrate that condemnation. We learn a lot about a person by what makes them angry. When Jesus was angry, it was never about his comfort or his pride. It was always about the strong oppressing the weak or the rich disregarding the plight of the poor. It was always about decisions that were made or systems that were put in place that could stop people from seeing God as a loving father who just wanted to welcome his children home. It was always about protecting his kids, those who were humble enough to recognise their need for forgiveness. Why was Jesus angry? He saw a group of people who longed to worship God coming to the temple in good faith 
and he saw that those who should have assisted them to be faithful in their religious duties saw them as fair game, as a means to an end, a way of gaining wealth at someone else's expense. You know, it was never right to steal from people in a marketplace, but to have the tenacity to do it in the courts of the temple, the very place that they believed God was present and watching, the God who had shown himself to be the protector of the weak and the marginalised, how dare they? When they had forgotten what was important to God, when when they had decided that they could turn their backs on God's priorities. The words of the prophet Micah would have been taught to every young Jewish boy and they would have known these words off by heart. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And as if the cheating was not bad enough, These guys had set themselves up in the court of the Gentiles. Now, why is that significant? Let me tell you a little bit about the temple in the time of Christ. It was a massive building, as I said before, and there were five separate courts in the temple. The inner court was the Holy of Holies. This was a place where they believed God dwelt. It, had, it contained the Ark of the Covenant. And it had this massive curtain that went from the floor to the ceiling. And the purpose of that curtain was to keep everybody out. God was just too holy to be approached by normal people. Now, outside of that court was the court of the priests. Now, the The priests were not good enough to enter the Holy of Holies except once a year. That's the only time they did that. And then outside of the court of the priests was the court of the Jewish men. They they were not good enough to enter the court of the priests. And then outside the court of the Jewish men was the court of the Jewish women who were not good enough to enter the court of the men. And then outside the court of the women was the court of the Gentiles who were considered dogs by the Jewish elite. Can you imagine how hard it could have been in those days for someone who was not a Jew to turn up at the temple to worship because there were non-Jews who worshipped Yahweh? They were considered the lowest of the low and could only access that outer courtyard. But they came because they loved God, they wanted his forgiveness and hoped that maybe even them, those Gentiles, could be accepted by God. But instead of a place of worship and prayer, they were faced with a noisy mob of hustlers. Even your bottom of the rung worship space was not considered worthy of any honour because you were not of the Jewish race. You want to set up shops to fleece people of money? Well, let's just do it in the Gentile space. They're not worthy of anything else. In Mark's Gospel, 
in, in this same story of Jesus clearing the temple, he is quoted as saying, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. The love of God was never exclusive to the Jewish nation. Jesus was angry. He would not tolerate barriers being put in the way of those who would come to God. Now, let me tell you a little bit of detail that is buried in the stories of Christ's death, which is incredibly significant and so important to this portrait. This simple verse is recorded by Matthew at the very end of his account of the death of Christ. Jesus passionately cried out, took his last breath and gave up his spirit. At that moment, the veil in the Holy of Holies was torn in two from the top to the bottom. You could read that and not understand the incredible significance of it. Jesus died to give every one of us an all-access pass to his presence. And God demonstrated that by physically ripping that barrier curtain apart. He was saying to every one of us, because of my love for you, you belong here. You don't have to stay in an outer court. You can walk right into the presence of the Most High God and find welcome. You know, I said last week the question that we were going to ask each week was, what do we know about God through this particular portrait of Jesus? Well, I think we know two things. Firstly, he will not tolerate anything getting in the way of his love and his grace. As you read the gospel stories, you find Jesus getting angry when religious leaders put petty rules and traditions before compassion, when people walked in blatant hypocrisy, being critical of the behaviour of others and uncaring about their own sin, when they cross a road to avoid helping a neighbour. I also know from this story that God's priority is justice and mercy and compassion. We are living in an increasingly divided and fractious world. If we are to be like Jesus, then any anger that we feel should be righteous anger, should be directed towards justice for others while we sacrifice our own needs and wants for their sake, as Jesus did. When Jesus said that his followers would take up their cross and follow him, he meant it. So let me leave you with a challenging thought. If you're a Christ follower, you already have an all-access pass to the Father. What are the tables in your life that Jesus wants to overturn? What junk does he want to clear out so that you will shine justice and mercy? What is stopping you from bringing other people with you through the backstage door and into the presence of Christ? Our primary task, remember, is to reveal who God is to the world 
And the good news is God is like Jesus. How about we pray? Jesus, we want to lift up every person watching today who is desperate for your love and your peace. Remind us again that the barriers that could separate us from you have been smashed down by your sacrifice on our behalf. Let these well-known verses wash over you again. I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Jesus says, your followers, we walk with you in glorious acceptance. May our hearts break for those still standing outside the stage door, not knowing or not believing that they are welcome. Overturn the tables of selfishness in our hearts and help us to be door openers for the lost. For this is our one purpose. Amen.